Welcome back to the Rock Your Retirement Show. I'm your host, Kathy Klein. In August of 2020, we started following the life of a pre-retiree, Barbara Mock. She's retired now, and we're giving you updates on her life and what she's going through as long as she'll let us. So let's get started. Barbara, welcome back to the Rockier Retirement Show. People have been asking about you on Facebook, so I'm so glad that you're back. Tell me what's happening with you. Well, I am really, really, really happy to be back. It has been a crazy, crazy summer, and I noticed that on the Facebook page, somebody wanted to know about our travels, and oh boy, do I have some stories for you. But for the listener who kind of doesn't know where we're at right now, just a quick recap, we sold our house in Snohomish, we lived in our motorhome all summer long. We bought a new house near where our son and daughter-in-law and grandkids live. And at the end of summer, we decided to put our motorhome up for sale on consignment. And then we got on a plane to take a trip to the Solheim Cup that was three years in the making. So we're finally here. So traveling after being in a motorhome and then getting on a plane after three long years has has been an eye-opener. And I know that the baby boomers are back to traveling again, and I learned so much about myself and my husband on this trip. I just wanted to share kind of some of the stories of how we got here, what we did, and how it pretty much kind of changed the future for our travel plans. So first of all, for the listener, I took up golf right as I was starting to think about retiring. And I met a golf instructor who within weeks said, you need to go to the Solheim Cup. And if you'll recall, that was my year of yes. I said yes to just about everything and didn't even know what the Solheim Cup was. So for the non-golfing listeners, if you've heard of the Ryder Cup, that is where the European men play matches against the American men and it alternates every other year. Well, unbeknownst to me, the non-golfer learning about golf, the Solheim Cup is the European women playing the American women. And it alternates years, and then it alternates countries. And so for the 2023 Solheim Cup was in Spain. So I signed us up for that, not knowing anything about it. My husband just kept shaking his head going, what have you done? Why are we doing this? Are you crazy? And I I thought, well, you know, if I've spent this much money, And this much time anticipating it, I want to plan a trip that will really be something that will be memorable. But partly because my husband, you'll have heard before, is very tall. He's six foot six. He doesn't fit in planes. He doesn't fit in trains. He doesn't fit in taxis. He doesn't fit in showers or beds. So Europe (laughs) is not his favorite place. 
He needs and, to go to Texas. Well, he needs to go, or everybody is that Amsterdam, tall. or you know, he's of Norwegian descent, so you know, they're big guys there. So he reluctantly said, "Yes, I'll go with you, but I think this might be my last trip to Europe." And I'm like, "Really? That just sounds so sad." But I thought, okay, then let's try to find some things that you had wanted to do in the past. And so right before the pandemic, we had been planning a hiking trip to Iceland. Well, here we are four years later, not in as good a shape. And I guess that's one of the takeaways for the listeners. If you are retired or you're contemplating retirement, every year it gets a little harder. And I know we all have the goal of staying in shape, but I think just age and gravity affects us. And so pretty much a hiking trip in Iceland is kind of not really on our list, but we still wanted to go see it. Well, to get to Spain, you if you're coming from Seattle, you got to fly through someplace. And we have cousins that we found on the internet in Dublin. And so I decided like, if we're going to do this, I want to see my cousins in Dublin after three or four years. Well, I learned with research, and that's one one travel tip, is do your research. Some people make it like a recreational pursuit to trip to plan travel. Other people make it the hack. You know, how do you how do you get the best deal? In fact, I think I know someone like that that I'm talking to right now. <laughs> and and that's great, but doing your research in advance can really help out. And so what I learned was that if you want to fly from Seattle to Dublin, you can do it on Iceland Air, which is, you know, not the budget airline, but it's not the most fancy either. It's not kind of no frills. But the cool thing is Iceland for years has been trying to encourage, especially Americans, to come and visit. And so they have a program that if you buy a ticket from Seattle to Dublin or any place they fly in Europe, you can get off the plane at their hub, which is in Reykjavik, Iceland, for one to seven days coming and going for no extra cost. Wow. So, so if you're planning on going somewhere in Europe, especially from the West Coast in Seattle, it's so much less time for us to go up what I call over the North Pole than it is to fly across the U.S. So if you're in the Pacific Northwest, consider flying that way. And so what we did is I didn't think we really needed to stay for seven whole days. So at the beginning of our trip, I added basically a layover in Iceland. Now, what that meant was it was pretty darn comfortable for an old person like us to travel because usually it's the jet lag, right. but the flight leaves at 7.30 p.m., flies through the night. It's about a six-hour flight, but when you arrive, it's morning. And so you kind of immediately are wide awake because it's it's, you know, light out. And I thought, what should we do that first day? And so here's the thing. I don't speak Icelandic. I didn't even know where to start. And so if you're not going to take a trip where you're going to do a package tour, like a bus tour, and there are lots of those for Iceland, a good option that I found that we were just thrilled with 
was called Iceland Tours. And I'm not advertising for them. I'm just saying there's lots of tour groups in, in Iceland. But what they do is you choose how many days you want on that layover. Two, three, four, five, as long as you want to stay. But what they provide for you is a rental car, all booked and ready. All your hotel stays, and they're not all in one place because you're touring, you're seeing things, and the distance is far. And so you can choose the budget option, the moderate option, or the luxury option. It's all based on the price, but you can choose kind of what accommodation you want. And then they will provide you with a car with full GPS and an itinerary based on what you chose with options. And for someone like us who, you know, we could do the tour bus, but I don't love having to get up at a certain time and I don't love being on a bus with 60 people. I'll get there, I'm sure. But for right now, we're still capable of driving. We're still capable of walking. And it matched what we wanted to do perfectly. What side of the road do you have to drive on? You drive on our side of the road. Yay! It's not It's not a British, <laughs> British country. I'll get to Ireland next. Yeah. But Iceland is spectacular. We got off the plane and we drove right to the Blue Lagoon, which is the leftover hydrothermal water that they're using for energy production in a lava bed. And the silica has just covered the bed so it's soft. And when you get there, I did the upgrade, which is totally worth it and got the fluffy robes, and then the facial. So they give you this stuff that is looks like lava, and it's, it's, it's a cream, right, that they make, and that's your exfoliant. That scrubs you off. And so they tell you, put this on for three minutes, and you walk around this <laughs> all-like experience, and everybody's got this black face. And then after you wash that off, they give you a a moisturizer, and then they give you another treatment. And it's all included in the quote unquote upgrade to your tickets to the Blue Lagoon. And then you get a free drink. And so you can stay there as long as you want. It can be fruit juice or a glass of wine or whatever you want, but you're with there, you're in there with hundreds, maybe thousands of people <laughs> from all over the world. Wow. I love the Instagrammers, the young people who had full makeup, full hair, taking their photos in this steaming hot, hot water. And I just thought, okay, well, there's an option. <laughs> but I have to say that after being on a flight overnight, getting your rental car, it's just a few miles from the airport, having that kind of a spa-like soaking experience, it just kind of woke you up for the day. Now, did they encourage you to do that after you got off the 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 airplane? Did, was there like a checklist of things or they yes. said, here's what you want to do? No. What they, off. Yeah. What they said was, depending on what your level of, you know, whatever, it was an option. But what it gave you was the links because you have to buy your tickets far in advance. Oh, so okay. when I booked the tour, had I not known that, I would have just shown up. And it sells out. And so so there were some real advantages to having a local company that knows the drill. But remember, 
Iceland tours isn't just for old people, right? There right. was zip lining and glaciering and, you know, all these really high impact adventures and everything. And so, so, so it's like a checklist and you say, okay, I want this. I want that. It's a menu. It's a menu. It's a menu oh, of amazing. options and, and activities. It. And it gives you all the distances, how much time it takes to drive to these. Because Iceland is massive and you're driving a lot on the ring road to, you know, get around. Now we didn't drive all the way around. We did the golden circle, which I would say is kind of the best of, you know, you get to see a lot of things, but oh, Kathy, it is wild. It is beautiful. It is subpolar. So if you're going and you're from the Pacific Northwest, you have everything you need. But if you don't, then you need some boots and you need some hats and gloves and coats and basically what you would do for winter. Now we went in September and the weather was pretty good. It wasn't like going in the in the dark of winter, but we needed every bit of our warm weather clothing. The first day we got there it was raining and so that was the day that we got to explore Reykjavik. And the thing about Iceland when you think about population, it only has the whole country about 300,000 people. The capital city has about 130,000. So it's pretty small. And it's yet, like Alaska. Yes. And yet, yeah. over a million people, tourists come. So you think, how, how does this all work, right? How do you accommodate everybody? Well, what we learned is there isn't enough accommodation for everyone, either in the capital city or in the countryside. So what farmers, mainly sheep farmers, some horse farmers are doing, and I think it's amazing to supplement their income, is they're building little cabins or yurts or nice. little inns. And so where you stay, and again, you get to choose, you know, what your options are, you're on someone's property that's also a working farm, which we thought was absolutely amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So the rain came down that first day. And, you know, you always say when there's something that's raining, you know, there's a bright side, the waterfalls. We went from waterfall to waterfall. And these aren't just like a little piddly waterfall. These are massive, tall, big waterfalls coming off the glacier. And what I found awesome was they're accessible. Most places in the U.S. that are really, really amazing, you got to park, you got to hike, you, you got to get there, which I think in some ways makes it worth it. But when you're in Iceland and you only have a few days, you can see some amazing waterfalls if you just want to drive by on the road. If you want to pull over and you want to get closer and feel the, the spray on your face from several hundred feet up in the sky, you can do that as well. And so we really, really enjoyed that. We love the countryside. It's rocky. When you're driving on the Golden Circle, to your right is almost always the ocean. And to your left is this massive, massive glacier. It almost takes up the whole southern part. And so we just went from place to place, exploring waterfalls, doing a few little short hikes. And then we got to this black sand beach. It was freezing. It was probably just above the 30s. Heavy, heavy wind. It looked like some of the places that they've shot Game of Thrones and Outlander. I mean, I think a lot of those have been shot in Iceland. It just kind of almost looked familiar. It was just beautiful. But standing out there with my hat, coat, gloves, freezing, 
from the wind is a beautiful bride and a groom with no clothes on other than their wedding (laughs) gown and their coat. And you're just thinking, oh my gosh. And she stood out there for 30 minutes because who knew? It's the thing to get in your wedding attire and go take your wedding photos on the black sand beach with all the rocks. And I mean, it's just, I've never seen anything like it before. Beautiful. It's just beautiful and striking. Now, is this, is September, what what month would it correlate to in the United States, their September? Do you know, was it their winter, their summer, their spring? It was the end of their summer, just like ours, and the beginning of fall. And so it was actually for Iceland quite warm because we were there early September. The later you get in the year, like October, November, the colder and more winter-like it gets, but also more of a chance to see the northern lights, which, which, you know, we we didn't go there expecting that. So we went at the... Right, right after Labor Day, the beginning of September, which I think was a good time because it's not the summer tourist season because it's really, really busy there in the summer. I know that Europe was just inundated with Americans last summer and it was really crowded. I think it was just for us, just about perfect to go in September and the weather was great. And so we just kept driving and we got to this place after the Black Sand Beach the next day, which was this lake where the glaciers breaking off full of icebergs and wow. just the, the the almost like a caribbean blue color of the water you know that glacial water with the big hunks of ice and you could hear it cracking off i i don't know how to describe it other than awe inspiring and again cold and windy we were fully buttoned up in our in our Northwest winter wear, but that was just gorgeous. And that was the furthest east that we went. So we went that far east. So you leave the main airport in Reykjavik and you drive, sleep, you go further east, drive and sleep. So we had three nights that were on the road. And the good thing about that is you see a lot. The harder thing is you're unpacking and packing and, you know, right. moving every night. But for us, it was just a perfect way to go. So when we got back, we were headed back and we made arrangements to actually stay at the hotel near the airport. And this is what's hysterical if you've done any contemporary tra- traveling. The airport shares the parking lot with the rental car place that shares the parking lot with the hotel. So <laughs> when you, make your way back, you park your car and you pull your luggage out and check into your room. And they have this program that if you have an early flight, which we did to Dublin, Iceland Air lets you check your bags the night before. Oh my gosh. We had golf clubs with us. That's amazing. (laughs) we, we, We got out of our room and had our dinner and we hauled our golf clubs and our big bags across the parking lot checked them in. So that morning, that saved us. You know how much time it takes, right, to go through security. We just had our just our overnight bag to walk into the airport. So Iceland, from a logistical standpoint, because it's so small, is pretty dreamy as far as, wow. you know, moving through. So our last day, we were driving kind of on the southern rim. And, you know, they've had a lot of volcano action at that time recently. And my husband goes, do you want to hike up there? And I said, no, (laughs) this is like 
a volcano. (laughs) Paint pots and steam coming up. And I don't think so. So we drove to this cute little town called Grinval. And we watched a soccer game. And we walked around the water. And we had some dinner. And then you go to this place where it's the two tectonic plates are rubbing up against each other. And you can have one foot in Europe and the other foot in North America. Like, it's it's incredible. But subsequent to that, the town that we walked in, that we watched the soccer game, has been evacuated. Oh. Because, because all underneath of us was lava flowing. And right after we left, probably maybe three or four weeks, the earthquake started, the lava started flowing. And so we felt like, oh, my gosh, because they've closed the Blue Lagoon. Like, we just made it. You saw it right in the nick of time. (laughs) Right right before (laughs) everything started getting destroyed. And so all in all, it was really incredible. And I I think we would go back. I think one of the things that, that Mike wanted to share with the listeners, though, is that it is a young person's place, right? The people that are coming there, and they come year round, are in their 20s and 30s, and they're going snorkeling in, you know, freezing icy Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. (laughs) they're They're all suited up. They're going, you know, scuba diving. They're doing zip lining. They're flying in on helicopters and hiking on the glacier. And so it's pretty much a young person's adventure place. However, tons and tons and tons of seniors on tour buses and like us driving around, we would see people that were kind of familiar. But I got to share one story that it just, it just touched me. We went out to a place just serendipitous. And that's the nice thing about having control in your car is we would just go, well, let's go down this road, right? Because there's one main highway and we would find stuff. And we found this canyon that I'm sure has been from a movie set. It almost looks surreal. We hiked down, we stood over it, we took some photos and met people and it was amazing. But it was coming to the point where we're getting to leave. And I said, you know, I just want to see a sheep, you know, because we were driving past them. But, but you I were never- going to Ireland. Right. So you would have I seen know. a million sheep. I know. But <laughs> anyway, you but saw the, this, so what? the Icelandic sheep are beautiful. The Icelandic horses. I mean, not a lot lives there. It's a pretty inhospitable place. And so we drive down the hill and I go, stop, stop, stop. Because there was a sheep alongside the road. So I got out and I took a photo. I said, okay, my trip is complete. I, I got my picture of my sheep. <laughs> and then we drove not more than a hundred yards. And all of a sudden, we saw thousands and <laughs> thousands of sheep, but they were with people. So there's this thing that only happens once a year. How could it be that we happen to be there at this actual place that it only happens once a year and everyone from the countryside, because everyone's raising sheep, had their trucks like a big tailgate. And in the center was this circle and all the sheep were in the circle. Like we got out and Mike wanted to get in the circle. He wanted to go in there and see. And all these grandparents, parents, grandkids and great grandkids were grabbing their colored tag on the sheep, grabbing the sheep 
and then going to a gate. So the grandchild would grab the sheep and the grandpa would open the gate and they were sorting them because apparently they turn them all loose in the spring. They gather them all up with horses and, you know, SUVs and whatever. This one's yours. That one's Herb's. Exactly. This one is Shirley's. Exactly. There's so-and-so's sheep. But they do it all day long. Now, did they spray paint them or because no, they all have in Ireland, color. in Ireland, they are spray painted green right. or orange or whatever. Right. So, right. so they have an ear tag. They have an ear tag with ear a tag. number and a color. Okay. okay. And, but what's amazing is this community comes together. They sort this, you know, hundreds of sheep. Then they go have a little break, have their lunch, have a drink. Then they do it over and over and over again, but they do that for the whole day, maybe two days, and then not one sheep is left behind. If you How found fun. if you found all of your sheep, you, you would go, go help, help somebody else. Go find their sheep. Sheep dogs everywhere, sheep everywhere, noise, chaos. I I looked at Mike and I go, is this real? Like, are we really here? <laughs> like, you could never have planned it. Although some people did, they had planned their trip to be able wow. to see this moment that we just randomly, randomly stumbled on. Yeah, but you also were hiking a couple of years ago and you ran into like a mountain angel or something. I don't yep. remember. You you always have weird things happen to you while you travel. I know, but I think it's because. <laughs> We're not hooked into the schedule, right? You're open. You're open to new experiences. Things just happen. And so the sheep herding experience on that final day. Amazing. It was just amazing. So anyway, so we got to the airport, went to Ireland. And, you know, we had just come from kind of cold weather, but it had been sunny. And when we landed in Ireland, all of a sudden they wouldn't open the door, you know, to let people in. And we were kind of right right there by the door because long legs, emergency exit. And you could see this guy kind of signaling and he was like, wait, wait, wait. Well, it was a torrential downpour, like like a fire hose. And in Ireland, you don't have a, a terminal to get into. You have to go down the, On the ground, across yeah. the thing. And so they opened, they opened the door and it's literally, Kathy, like a fire hose was blowing oh, water. And, and the the lovely flight attendant, she goes, oh, the door. She goes, oh, dear. And my <laughs> husband goes, welcome to Dublin. <laughs> so we, uh, the whole plane started putting on their coats and hats. Oh, no. And we just came in and just got blasted with water. We got to our favorite hotel in downtown Dublin. And got our rental car. And then the next morning, we drove to my where my cousins had chosen. And we went glamping in Ireland. No. We, yes. Fun. It was fun. Well, they have a cute little motorhome. But in Ireland, you call it a caravan. Right. And they have a caravan. And they had driven their caravan up to a place called Wicklow. And get this. They're in their mid-70s. They've lived in Ireland their entire lives. And they had never been to Wicklow. And I just wanted to say for the listener, think about your own community and think about how many places that tourists come that maybe you never, never did. It's just, it's just the way it was. We just laughed our heads off. Anyway, what was nice about traveling with them is this, where they had us stay was this adorable, adorable little like half side of a duplex that had a, a bed 
room. It had like a little kitchen dining area. And then it had these little, it was like the three bears and each were bear cutouts. And it had Papa bear, mama bear, and baby bear sizes. So it would be where you would bring your family, you know, in the summertime. But for us, it worked out great, but we didn't have any of the things we needed. So they brought for us our our sheets, our pillows, our bedding. And then because you have to bring that stuff in that kind of apartment. Right. When you're glamping and everything. So we didn't really cook a lot there. We got a few breakfast things at the little grocery store, but we did appetizers around their campsite. And then we ate at pubs, which is the favorite thing to do when you're in Ireland is is have a pint, a Guinness and, and get some lunch. We really enjoyed reconnecting with them. And they took us to a place in Wicklow that is built as almost like a tree fort, but it's it's ginormous. And apparently Germany has a lot of these and now Wicklow, Ireland has one where it's like seven stories tall of all this wood structure that looks like art and you spin and go up the spiral and go up to the top and you have views of the Wicklow Mountains, of the ocean, of the countryside. It was gorgeous and it was on an old estate. But then when you get to the top, there's a slide down to the bottom. No, how fun. Did you take a slide? Of course I did. If I'm all the way over in Ireland. Now, my cousins didn't. They thought it was a little bit too, you know, too steep, too whatever. But it was great. It was great. Kids would love it. So we went to Wicklow. We went to Arklow. We just stayed with them for three days. Had a wonderful time reconnecting post-pandemic. And we'd already been to Ireland before. But when I asked Mike about, you know, what was his feedback? Because, you know, I'm usually the happy, happy positive, And he's usually the more realistic. He just said... Driving in Ireland is so hard. It, the back <laughs> roads are so narrow. And he just said, you know, to caution older people, if you're going for the first time and you're not real comfortable driving, take a bus, take take a tour. We we rented a car this time, but driving, you know, with your body on the wrong side of the car or the opposite, they don't think it's wrong, the opposite yeah, side exactly. of the car. And but driving on the opposite side of the road, I mean, he's getting better and better, but he just said, it just feels so dangerous. The main highways are awesome. The main highways to, you know, get you from big city to big city. But whenever you get off those main roads, those narrow, right. narrow streets are just so scary. So we we had a wonderful time in Ireland. And our last night, we went to our favorite pub. I think it was the Cat and something. From the 1600s, you know, how many times can you go to a pub that (laughs) is there from the 1600s and, you know, just really just enjoy the people. And we had a great time reconnecting with them. The sun came out and there was a gorgeous, gorgeous weather. The kids had gone back to school. And so it was just a good little layover that got us on our way to Spain. Great. So Spain. I can't not say enough about Spain. We had such a good time. And I think he was surprised because we were headed for our tour group. But I added four days in advance. And that turned out to be the best thing I ever did. Because you fly, we flew into Malaga, which is kind of the southeastern part of Spain. It's south of Madrid and Barcelona. But it's on the water. It's on the coast. And I stayed in a place called Icon Malabar, which is right downtown Malaga. And if you've been to Europe and you've been to a gated city or a a walled city, of course, they've taken the walls down now. We don't have invaders from 
Morocco or something. But everything that grew up is really narrow. And so there's no room for cars to drive inside these cities. And so it's so walkable. And we had a wonderful time. In southern Spain, the promenades are wide. The gardens are gorgeous. We visited a Moroccan castle that was started in the 11th century and then climbed up to a fort that the French, you know, had for a while and the British. There was a lot of fighting back in their history. But the beaches were beautiful. The people were friendly and it was so clean. That was what we were kind of surprised about. And I'm kind of a early go to bed. You know, eight thirty nine. I'm I'm asleep. Whatever. Well, they just get started. I know at nine. <laughs> it's crazy. It's but I was surprised how quick we we adjusted because you know when you have no schedule, you eat when you want, you drink when you want, you sleep when you want. But I had never experienced the tapas culture. T a a s. Right. That we do that now. <laughs> Just kind small, of nibbling. Yeah, it's small <laughs> plates and everything. But we were just shocked at how reasonable. I mean, Iceland's super, super expensive. Super oh. expensive. Ireland's pretty far up there because they're on the euro. But Spain, you could get a beautiful glass of rosé for $4. That's And crazy. a beer for like three fifty. And so we were shocked because, you know, we're used to paying what we pay. But we enjoyed the street food and the cafes. We walked everywhere. We took a bike tour, which really opened up the community to us to see right outside of where we were. We could take a quick taxi out of town where there were no tourists and just be with the locals on a beach. The water makes you so buoyant. You you get in the water and they have these breakwaters everywhere. They're almost like a T. And because the waves are coming in, but on these breakwaters, old people like us could put their swimsuit on and just float. So we would get up in the morning and get hot and sweaty adventuring and looking around sightseeing, then go back and put our swimsuits on and, and soak and then go back and take a little siesta, little nap, and then, you know, get dressed and go out for our tapas and, and just so amazing. So Mike finds people. I don't know how he does, but he met this couple from Amsterdam one night and he said, well, do you guys want to go get dinner? And they go, no, we're going to the fashion show. Now, keep in mind, my husband only goes to things where they keep score, right? (laughs) Sporting events, art galleries are not his thing, musical things. Fashion show would never be on his radar. But this guy said, no, there's a fashion show. It's a really big international thing. And Mike goes, really? So I walk up and I go, what's going on? He goes, we're going to a fashion show. And I said, hello? Is this my husband? Who are you? And he goes, and we got to get there early to get a seat. And I'm like, Okay, so we get dressed and we get there at six. He thought it started at seven. It was 730. We sat there for an hour and a half waiting with thousands of people on the longest runway in Europe. And it's a blue carpet, not a red carpet. Okay. And we watched this amazing, it was it was high fashion international. I mean, never in a million years did I think I would ever see something like that. And he enjoyed it of all things. Well, after we were done, we're hungry. And so here we are eating seafood on the coast at 1130 at night. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And the bars are packed, you know, because everybody had watched the fashion show. The bars are packed. 
there's no tipping required in Spain, which my husband absolutely loved because they get paid. But every once in a while, this bell would ring, like in the restaurant, this bang, you know, and we're like, what is that? Well, we asked the waiter, he goes, oh, that's when we get a tip. So <laughs> it's so rare that they get a tip, but they appreciate it when they well, do. Well, I thought, I thought a lot of people just round it up. They do. You know, and that do they consider that a tip if you just round I that? Probably suppose, not. But it's yeah. nothing like here where it's like you're 10%, required. 25, 25%, you know, all this stuff. They're paid, they're happy. So the fresh seafood, the produce produce markets, they had bullfighting there. They had a bullfighting ring. We did not go to a bullfight. They weren't going right then and there. Don't need to do that. But we we had such a great time. So now he's in love with Spain. Like Aww. in love with Spain. His comments were, I don't know if I would ever go back to Hawaii or Mexico again. And well, I you said, know, we're, we're, we're going to Spain in, uh, we're, we're leaving in April and we'll be there in May. You're going to love it. Well, we're taking a transatlantic cruise. Well, I love it, but we're only going to be there for four days. Not long enough, but I know, but I figured. You know, we we found this transatlantic cruise, and when we purchased it, was it a thousand dollars a person? I think it was a thousand dollars a person for a balcony seat. Like you can't fly for what we paid for these tick for this cruise. And I told Les, I said I've always wanted to go to Barcelona. So, and Malaga is one of our stops. Malaga, how do you pronounce it? Malaga, Malaga. Malaga. Mm-hmm. That's one of our stops, but, but yeah. And then we've got four days. We, we get off the ship in Barcelona. We've got four days and, and yeah, it's, I'm really looking. So, if, so if you and Mike want to come back, <laughs> we're going to be there in May. Okay. <laughs> anyway, continue. continue. Good to know. Well, anyway, so after Malaga, we caught our, up with our, our group, the whole reason we are going for the yeah. Solheim Cup. We took a shuttle down to a place called Estepona and from the villa that we were staying at, which was luxury, it was probably the nicest place we went. And so that's a good tip. If you're going to start in Iceland cold and then Ireland rainy, it's great to end at 85 degrees, perfect yes. sun, no no rain for, for basically two weeks. I wouldn't do the reverse. I wouldn't go no. Spain to Ireland to Iceland. <laughs> but I have to say it does require a lot of luggage because we had to wow. travel for three seasons plus golf clubs. So next time we go, we'll, we'll go and we'll just go straight to Spain with a backpack. But we joined our, our our group and it was great to connect with them. 120 people who were, you know. 120. Short. Oh, because of the cup. Okay. Yeah. So it was a group of 120 golfers. And so we had two rounds of golf and we got cute little shirts that we got to wear. And then we got paired up with another couple, one from Arizona, another one from Texas. And that was just really fun, right? Getting to know people that are about your age, they're, you know, that are there for the same reason. So we had these activities. We had a dinner, we had dancing, we had all this stuff. And then we went to the Solheim Cup. And the first tea is when the Americans and everybody tees off. Well, we didn't, we were too cheap to pay for the tickets to go see them tee off. So we walked in the dark because it's, they start it as soon as the sun comes up, they start. And so we're down on the first, first green, standing there with all these hundreds of people. And all of a sudden, 
out of the dark, you hear a roar up on the hill, and then you hear a plop about 10 feet from us. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the golf ball landed. Now, these are women golfers, but it was like 280 yards. These oh these women are no joke how professional and how good they are. And then the next one, another one plopped. I said, okay, if we do this next time, we're not going to be near where the golf ball is going to land in the near dark. <laughs> I just looked at me and he said, what the heck just happened? But we had such a good time. But again, if you're retired or you're an older person, it's not for the faint of heart to try to keep up with golfers on a golf course. It, we've tried for the first seven holes and we go on, okay, we got to sit down. It's exhausting. <laughs> and you're up hills, down hills, you know, I mean, they're, they're moving fast because they're a lot younger and you're going, what are we going to do here? So we've, we followed the group for the first day. And then the next day we were so tired. We just sat down next to some people from Europe. We met people from Norway, Ireland, Scotland, because it's European, right? It's right. all the Europeans. We met them and we just sat there and watched people come in and, and putt. There's just something about being in an experience like that, like yelling, USA, USA, while the Europeans are going, ole, 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 ole. And they're drowning us out, right? It's of weird course. to be in the minority. but And there's got to be way more of them than there are of you because you're in there, Europe. <laughs> there were. There were. And so then on the last day, we had these things called pavilion tickets. So we got to go to a place that had beverages and food and then just be there with all these Americans and Europeans, watching them come in, screaming our heads off. It was so fun oh. to travel with a group. And it was nice you know, because I was in charge of whether things went well the first part of the trip, right, till we got there. But to have all your buses and transportation and tickets and all the logistics, I have to say, pretty nice deal, right? There's just like, you just show up on time to whatever you're doing. We made lifelong friendships. And we, we realized that Mike wants to go back right? He wants to go back to Spain. And so that was what so, I said so at the beginning. Going back to Europe. It's not his last European trip. And I didn't expect him to feel that way. But he had so much fun in Spain that he talks about it with people. He tells them. And so at the beginning of this conversation, I said that it was a life-changing trip. It was such a great trip that he's ready to go back. And so I don't know. I guess I just want to kind of end it with that, that go when you can. Travel the way that matches your preferences, like know what you like. Leave room for serendipity and be willing to take adventures while you're young enough to still do them. Wow. Talk to so many people that are, you know, approaching their 80s and they're just not traveling like they are. Well, I'm turning 65. That's 15 years. Divide that up by how many summers do you have? And it just makes you realize this is the time to go. So we're in the go-go years and I'm really enjoying it. And I'm happy to share with the listeners about our three-week, three-year-in-the-making trip to Ireland, Iceland, and Spain. It was super fun. Fantastic. Thanks so much for coming back on and giving us your update. And I can't wait to hear what happens next. And for the listener, we'll see you next time on the Rock Your Retirement Show. Bye. Bye. Bye.